Okay, good evening. Uh, it's exciting to be here tonight. Uh, I, I guess I'll say in the beginning that what I'm sharing about, I certainly don't have it all figured out. I'm still trying to put all the pieces together. But I'm excited about the message of the kingdom that Jesus gave. So I think we'll start with just a short prayer. Father God, I come to you in Jesus' name. We pray for your presence here, your light. We pray that you would teach us more what it means to follow in the path of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. A great Christian leader once said, if men only believe in Christ, they can commit adultery and murder a thousand times a day without periling their salvation. Maybe I should read that again. If men only believe in Christ enough, they can commit adultery and murder a thousand times a day without periling their salvation. Anybody agree with that? Maybe we shouldn't ask for a raise of hands. Ponder that a bit. What, there's something behind that statement. There's a theology behind that statement. And I think we need to think about that. Another great, uh, great Christian leader once said, True evangelical faith cannot lie dormant. It clothes the naked, it feeds the hungry, it comforts the sorrowful, it shelters the destitute, serves those that harm it, binds up that which is wounded. It has become all things to all creatures. I wonder if you can tell me who those two quotes were given by in history. The first one was Martin Luther. The first one was Martin Luther. Simons was the second one, right. So the first one was given by Martin Luther. He was a monk and a scholar who lived from 1483 to 1546. <clears throat> he was a key leader, probably even the initiator of the Reformation, which deeply uh, impacted the, the history of the church. Um, on October 31st, 1517, he defied the power of the Catholic Church and nailed a copy of his 95 Theses uh, on the door of the German Wittenberg Castle Church in hopes of inciting a debate on two central issues. The first one was the Bible is the central religious authority for Christians. <clears throat> this is what he believed, what he was trying to advocate, and he wanted to have an argument or a debate about these things. Not the church, not the priesthood, not the pope, but the Bible. The Bible is the ultimate authority. Secondly, his, uh, one of his important uh, topics was that humans may reach salvation only by their faith and not by their deeds. Now, Luther was pretty courageous. He really was. We have to give it to him. In the time that he was living, what he was doing was just crazy. I mean, he was basically asking for, 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 uh, for himself to be killed. I mean, he just shouldn't have been doing those things. Um, he was very courageous, and we want to we recognize his, his courage in that time. Um, he started a movement that altered the course of Christian history and deeply impacted us and our forefathers. Uh, and so I think we want to recognize that in Luther even though we can be a bit critical of him, maybe. The second one uh, was given by Menno Simons. He lived from 1496 to 1561, right around the same time. Uh, and he was one of the formative leaders of the Anabaptist Church in the Netherlands during the Reformation. He was also a very courageous man. I'm amazed with some of these guys, and he was one of them. Uh, the things he did and the way he kept preaching and the way he kept, uh, the way he stayed alive. I mean, they were after him. They wanted him. Uh, and he would always manage to escape somehow or get out of there, stay out of their grasp. He was hunted from place to place. He was such a wanted man that people who gave him a place to stay 
just a place to lay his head, uh, were at times arrested and, and in one case or so even executed, just for giving him a bed. Uh, so this man was very courageous. He was a Catholic priest and uh, <clears throat> who at the time was quite ignorant of what the Bible actually taught. He writes that two other persons of about my age also officiated in the same station. Both had read the scriptures partially, but I had not touched them during my life, for I feared if I should read them, they would mislead me. Behold, such a stupid preacher was I. Interesting. Uh, so here he was a priest and had never actually read the scriptures. He talks about the life that he lived with his fellow uh, preachers or priests. Um, and he says this, Two other persons of about my age also officiated in the same station. Both had read the scriptures partially, but I had not touched them during my life. For I feared if I should read them, they would mislead me. I, I already read that one, the next one. Um, he wrote this, Those two young men and myself spent our time daily in playing, drinking, all manner of frivolous diversions, alas, as is the fashion of such, and way of such useless people. Uh, they used very uh, frank talk back in the, in the Reformation days. They, we wouldn't be quite this, uh, this courageous or crazy these days, probably not. Um, and, and then he says, and when we were to treat a little of Scripture, I could not speak a word with them without being scoffed at, for I did not know what I asserted. Thus concealed was the word of God to my understanding. Finally, he did venture into the scriptures when he uh, heard about this guy that had been rebaptized, and he started studying the scriptures and, discover, and discovered it doesn't really say anything about uh, infant baptism, and he was surprised to find that and continued searching the scriptures. Uh, after that, eventually joined the Anabaptist movement or became a strong leader. Interestingly, he was... He was one of the, the leaders that helped somewhat stabilize the Anabaptist movement in, in the Netherlands. Some things went a little haywire for a bit. There was a group of people that decided that the kingdom was, was now, and they set up their own uh, physical kingdom in the city of, in the city of uh, Munster, Germany, I think it was. And it became kind of radical, and really radical, actually, until the, I think, Catholic or Protestant authorities came and just overran them. And, uh, and Meadow was very deeply concerned about some of these ideas that were going around, and he... Uh, became a very influential leader in shaping the early Anabaptist movement. Interestingly, his confession of faith, eventually, or his, I say, the Dutch confession of faith from where he, was, where he was the leader, eventually made it down to Switzerland, where our people come from. And our people, or the, the, the uh, Swiss brethren in Switzerland, adopted the Dutch version uh, uh, confession of faith which was very, which was more, uh, how could you say, it was more strict, maybe, than they had in the Swiss region. Uh, and some people would actually say that the, the, the Amish division between the Amish and Mennonites at that time um, came somewhat from his strict interpretation of, of how things should be. Anyway, but he deeply impacted us, uh, very deeply. Now, maybe you're saying, why in the world would I start a topic on themes of the kingdom, uh, quoting people like this, or I should start with Jesus, right? Because he's, he's the most important one here. Um, <clears throat> but I do that to highlight that the, the differing views of these two people and how they still impact us today. Um, they explained salvation or understood the gospel in different, in different ways, in different terms. Uh, and I, I think... They, under, they, thought, they thought about true faith very differently, as was, as was uh, clear in those two examples. So think about 
um, Luther's example, to him, true faith had something to do quite disconnected from life, from living, from good living, from godly living. Whereas Luther said, this is the true faith is one that lives out of a transformed life. I think these two, uh, these two people, these two men, give us different frameworks by which to understand the gospel, to, by which we, a grids maybe, or one of the words I was thinking about is paradigms, gospel paradigms. And a paradigm is more of a model, a pattern, an example. Or maybe you could say a grid by which we understand and read the gospel. Because, you know, whether we, whether we admit it or not, we all come to the gospel with a lot of preconceptions, right? We've heard a lot of different things. We've heard a lot of different ideas. We've been influenced by a lot of different people. And so when we read, we put things in certain categories based on our, you know, the grid that we already have in place. And I think these two men offer uh, contrasting paradigms, uh, different grids by which we can understand the gospel. And I think, okay, let me say this as well. I think there's probably many other paradigms, many other perspectives that we could bring in. Uh, but I think it's these two. Uh, it's, it's Luther and Menno, or Jesus, um, who probably influence our thinking more than about, more than maybe more than anyone else. Uh, the, the, these two gospel paradigms impact us, and we're, we're caught between the two. Um, they answer some of the most basic questions about the Christian faith in very different ways. Uh, and so, for example, some basic questions, one of them would be, what did Jesus actually come for? Why did Jesus come? And we'll talk about that more as we go along this week. But what was the purpose of Jesus coming? What is salvation? What is it anyway? We talk about it all the time, but what is salvation? Um... We all know we should be saved, but what, what is it? And I think these two paradigms, these two perspectives, answer these questions in different ways. Another question would be, how do the Old Testament and New Testament relate to each other? So you think about this. So David, uh, David was a man of God, right? But David was also a man after God's own heart. Well, he was a man of God's own, after God's own heart. He was a man of God, but he was also a man of war. So therefore, a man of God can be a man of war. Is that right? <laughs> it depends which gospel paradigm you're, you're working from. Okay? So uh, another very basic question that these two perspectives, these two uh, paradigms um, answer differently is the question of who is man? Who, what is man? So in, in Luther's perspective... Uh, or in the Protestant perspective in general, uh, man at the very basic level, level is a sinner. And I think the kingdom gospel, of course, agrees to that to, to a certain extent, but there's, it answers these questions very differently. I think Jesus' gospel gives a more positive perspective, and we're going we're gonna to look at some of this as we go along. So uh, I say this, um, I bring these quotes as I begin, just to help us think about or just stir our minds a bit uh, in, in thinking about the two different paradigms that we're going to be looking at. We won't be looking at both of them that much this week, but I really want to zero in on the gospel of the kingdom. Um, 
And so I, I, I have one word that I think fits with, to maybe to describe the two different ones, the two different paradigms. And the one for Luther uh, is, is salvation, the gospel of salvation, maybe. Whereas uh, Menno's gospel, or I think Jesus' gospel, is more the kingdom gospel. And so we're going to look at the kingdom gospel more as we go along. Um, I think I'm going to skip some of this. Luther said some pretty crazy things <laughs> during his life, even worse than those other things that, 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 that other quote. Uh, some people actually say that he, if, if it weren't for Luther, the Holocaust could have never happened. Because uh, some of the things he said about the Jews was just, just unbelievable. Uh, he said, if you, in fact, one place he said, if you see a Jew, you can cross yourself and, how did he say? You can cross yourself and say, there goes the devil incarnate. Uh, that's, how, that's how radical some of his statements were toward the end of his life. And earlier on, he was more um, friendly to the Jews, but later he, he became quite... quite uh, anti-Jewish. I want to be careful how I say that because I don't think we can say that he was the cause. Uh, different writers look at it differently. They, they, some would say you can't necessarily say that Luther was the cause of the Reformation. <clears throat> I'm sorry, the cause of the, the Holocaust, but without him it probably couldn't have happened. Okay, so hopefully that gets us thinking a little bit. Uh, different gospel paradigms so over the next few nights, we'd like to look at some of these, uh, pers- this perspective. Um, I think the gospel of the kingdom is the, the, the story of, of Jesus' kingdom or the, the teaching of the kingdom is the most exciting and transformational themes in all of the Bible and for sure in the gospels. I don't think I'm saying it too strongly to say that to miss this is to miss maybe even the gospel itself. Uh, and it's the very thing that Satan seeks to blind our eyes from. In Matthew 13, I want us to look at this a little bit. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, Matthew 13, um, Jesus is talking about the kingdom, and he says, he says this, <clears throat> When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, Then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed in the stony places, and he goes on and gives different scenarios there of people receiving seed. And so I think here we can clearly see in this passage that this kingdom message is something that Satan does not want us to understand. Uh, Notice in verse 19 it says, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, the wicked one come and catches it away. So Satan tries to take it away. Uh, it sometimes dies because of lack of depth. It dies or, or doesn't make it because of tribulation or persecution. Um, there's many things that try to drown out or crowd out this message of the kingdom. But in verse 23 it says, He that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word, understandeth it, which also beareth fruit. So we see here that hearing and understanding the word of the kingdom is the key to being fruitful. And I think we all want to be fruitful. I think the teaching of Jesus on the kingdom of heaven is just incredible. But why is it so important, uh, we might ask? 
what's so important about this message of the kingdom or the theme of the kingdom? And I'd like to say, first of all, that it was what Jesus talked about more than anything else. Um, it was his most popular topic. Jesus talked about the kingdom all the time. He uses stories to explain it. He uses parables. Uh, he, he just goes on and on and on talking about the kingdom. Now, isn't it interesting? Let me ask you this question. How often did Jesus talk about the new birth? Anybody ever think about this? As far as I know, only one time that Jesus talked about the new birth. Now, I guess we would conclude if he just says it one time, it must not be important, right? Would we agree with that? <laughs> Hopefully not. Uh, you know, but the, new, the birth, okay, so birth is incredibly important. It's very important. If, you, if somebody's not born, they're just not alive, right? And so without the birth, I mean, the birth is, is very central to the message of the kingdom. But um, it's, it seems like sometimes Christianity today puts so much emphasis on the birth that we miss the life. Uh, birth is the entrance to life, right? Uh, and so if, if, if the, the birth becomes the all-encompassing thing that we're concerned about, we're just concerned about getting people born uh, and then forget about the life, um, I think we're, we're missing uh, something that Jesus intended for us to get. In fact, Jesus said, if, you, if you're not born again, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. You can't enter it. So the birth is the entrance into the kingdom of heaven, the new birth. It's vital, vitally important. But uh, one writer that I've read talks about how that it would be a bit strange if someone would just go, come around and constantly talk about his birth experience and how, he, how things, you know, we would think that's a little strange. Um, now, because birth is the entrance to life. That's what it's about. The birth brings us to, to new life. Uh, physical birth brings us to physical life. Spiritual birth brings us to spiritual life. So the new birth, I think, makes sense, makes the most sense, or uh, as we understand it in light of Jesus' all-encompassing message, which was the kingdom of heaven. Jesus mentioned the kingdom of heaven over 100 times in the Gospels. That's just interesting. Jesus continued talking about it. He, he uses parables to explain it. He calls people to repent because it is at hand. He goes on and on and on explaining what it looks like. That's what a lot of the parables are about. What we're in, in, in the book of Matthew right now, what we're studying, we see that Jesus is giving parables. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. He's trying to get us to understand what it looks like, uh, to understand it. In Matthew 13, I think we had this, was that today or just recently? Uh, maybe last week or the week before in Sunday school. Matthew 13, 10 to 11, uh, after he gave the parable of the sower, the disciples came and said, why are you speaking to them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it is not given. So Jesus wants us to understand the kingdom of heaven, even though it's a mystery. You know, there's, there's still a lot of things that we can't understand. But Jesus, I think, really wants us to understand this message of the kingdom. Now, interestingly, his second most popular topic was money. And uh, Jesus doesn't make us feel very good in, w w with that topic. It's, it's never a very positive 
topic and I think it's something to consider more in terms of the kingdom of heaven. Now I will say this, I think, I know there can be some disagreement on the kingdom of heaven versus the kingdom of God. In my understanding, they are synonymous terms. And so in, 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 the, in the Gospel of John, I could be wrong, but that's how I understand it. That in the Gospel of John, uh, you'll see more of the kingdom of God. Gospel of Matthew, uh, you'll see more of the kingdom of heaven. Um, my understanding is this, that Matthew was writing to the Jewish people who would not even pronounce the name of God. And so, uh, in deference to his audience, he used the kingdom of heaven, whereas some of the other gospels were not so much directed towards, um, towards the Jewish people, and so they used a different term there. So from what I understand, those two, those two uh, terms are synonymous. But between the two terms, we have over 100 references in the gospels. So I just think if Jesus talks so much about the kingdom of heaven, uh, Maybe we should be thinking about it more. I will say, we had some, some uh, messages recently here, and I appreciated that. I, just, I really appreciate when we think about the kingdom of heaven. And what does it mean to be a part of, of Jesus' kingdom? Secondly, I'm going to tell a story from my own life. I grew up at Summit View, not too far from here. And... Uh, for those of you that know much, at least back when I was there, the, the lines that some of you were drawn pretty tightly. And uh, if someone deviated from the path, from the way things were supposed to be, there was some strong repercussions. And I was, uh, I was, pretty, I was a very sensitive person. My conscience was very sensitive. And so I remember coming to communion usually and just feeling terrible, feeling that maybe I did something wrong or I didn't keep the standards right or whatever else. And I just despised it. I just hated it. Uh, I say hated it. That's maybe strong. I was, I, I was, I didn't enjoy the, the, uh, that feeling. But I remember one issue during my teen years, that was Opstelt was pleated pants, and uh, we, I was young and a teenager, and uh, they were cool right then, and so I thought I have to have these, and so I was going to CBS, and of course, if you go to CBS at a young, as a young person, you have to fit in, right? And if, for some of you, some of you probably remember that. So I found a clever way to soothe my conscience and still have semi-pleated pants, and I would sew the pleats shut. My, my mom didn't do it for me, but I would do it. And one night I was doing this, and my finger got under the needle. Um, and uh, as the needle was coming down, okay, so that was... Uh, it, and, of course, when that happened, I quickly jerked back, and he broke the needle off right at about my fingernail, so I couldn't pull it out. Uh, so, but it was sticking out the bottom by then. It had gone all the way through. <laughs> and so I, I took pliers or something and pulled it out the other, the other end, the other side. Um, but I just really had a hard time with such trivial issues. Uh, and thought, why do we focus so much on the small things? Why don't we focus on bigger things? I really chafed at those things. Um, and, but I would say this, that as I began to understand some of the, the, the way we do church, the, as I began to understand it as connected to a framework, and as, as connected to the framework of the kingdom, uh, as, as connected to a, another, 
a different understanding of what it meant to follow Jesus. Um, I actually came to sort of appreciate, maybe it's not all the nitty-gritty details, but at least the framework that we're, that we're attempting to live out a gospel that is centered around the kingdom of God. So I say the second reason I think that the message of the kingdom is key for us is that it helps make sense of our tradition. It helps make sense of our way. At least it has me, and I hope this can help some of us maybe make sense of it, or maybe you're all beyond where I am, I don't know. But I'm not saying that, I I want you to note that I did, I have a capital uh, T there. I'm not saying it makes sense of all the small, tiny details that we focus on. But, and I'm not saying it makes sense of the traditions all of the, 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 the details, the nitty-gritty things. But I think it, it gives us it, helps us, it helps make sense of the framework or the paradigm or the way that we as a people have, uh, have, have become, how we are, how we practice, how we live. Um, anyway, I think there's a reason that CAM is the biggest NGO in our circles. I think it says something about our gospel paradigm, how we understand the gospel, what we think it is. I think there's a rhyme to the, our, uh, the reason, or to, a rhyme to our tradition of having brotherhood agreements or church standards. It tells something about the way we've understood the gospel, what it means to follow Christ. And so anyway, that's what I'd like to look at. There's two paradigms. It's the gospel of salvation, the gospel of the kingdom, and of course, I'm sure there's different ways to talk about this, and so you can pick it apart, and you can tell me. Yeah, I, I welcome your feedback as we go along. Um, <clears throat> I want to say this. I think there are... Okay, so I, I, let, let me say, go back. So I think, first of all, it was what Jesus talked about more than anything else, and second of all, it makes sense of our tradition of our way. But I do think there's some pretty big problems that have been and continue to shape us as a people, um, in more Lutheran, Lutherian, I don't know how you say that. I made that word up. Lutherian terms. Um, I think one of the greatest confusions we have as Anabaptist people, as plain people, is that we, can, we confuse the two perspectives. And we try to mix the two together. Or this is probably maybe one way to say it. I think we live out of one paradigm, but we learn out of another. So when we think about how to live, we think about practical things. You know, we think about modesty, we think about separation of church and state, we think about not going to war, we think about the practical implications or how we live out our life uh, around the gospel, around what Jesus taught. But when we learn, we often read books or we listen to podcasts uh, who are coming much more from Luther's perspective, where the gospel is something else. And so I think, I think we're at times a bit confused as to what the gospel actually is. So is the gospel, as Luther explained it, uh, where it's completely disconnected from life, and you can sin and you can commit adultery and murder a thousand times a day and you're still a Christian? Or, it's, you know, it's probably somewhere in the middle there. But I think uh, one of the, the, the greatest challenges we have is um, trying to 
One of the greatest confusions, if that's a word, uh, is that we, we learn from one and we live, we live in the other. For Luther, uh, salvation happened at a point in life. It was a heart matter that might or might not make one whole. Um, he want, at one point, he instructed people to sin boldly because only then could they understand grace. Salvation was not necessarily transformational. It was much more, as one writer called it, forensic or scientific. Uh, it wasn't as transformational. And I again say that most of the teachers we listen to and books we read uh, bring with them some of that perspective. And so I think it's quite important for us to think about these things. Um, conversely, I think a kingdom view of salvation was and is, is quite differently, is quite different I think it is recognizing that Jesus came to make things right. I, when we had church camping, I talked about how that for God so loved the world, and that word world is cosmos, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not be. And so God loved the cosmos. You know, sometimes we think he just came for us. He just came to get us into heaven. He came to, to uh, put our name in his book so that when we die, we can, we can get to heaven. Um, but I think... The kingdom view of salvation is much more transformational. It's a life. It's a life that is transformed, of course, by the power of God and through the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. We can't do it on our own. We can't work hard enough to change ourselves. And, and yet, at the very core of, what, of that kingdom understanding of the gospel uh, is make, making us alive again. Jesus, Jesus didn't just come to get us saved uh, in, the, in the mystical sense where we are now on our way to heaven, but he actually came to make the world right again. He came to, to change things. He came to, to, to make us alive again, to truly, truly um, make us new people. A kingdom perspective of salvation doesn't ask, is it a salvation issue? I, th I hate that question. That's just, you know, somebody says... Uh, is something Jesus said a salvation issue? Um, meaning that, do we really have to do it if Jesus said it? You know, you think about this. If you're a father and your son would, you're, you're, you would tell your son to do something and he would say, well, am I going to lose my inheritance if I don't? <laughs> you would think that's a ridiculous perspective, right? But isn't that sort of the same? When we say, is it a salvation issue? We're, gonna, we're saying, are we going to lose our inheritance if we don't do what Jesus said? Well, that's not the question. The question is how... Can we align ourselves with Jesus and his kingdom? How can, we, um, how, how can we allow Christ to work in our lives and align our life with him and around, around his kingdom and allow him to reign? So to sum it up, I'm proposing or I'm suggesting that there are two gospel paradigms and they offer very different views on what it means to be saved and what it means to follow Jesus. And oftentimes we're confused, possibly, because we're, we're listening to one and we're living out of another. And I think it's especially confusing to our younger generation when, when, when they're listening to one gospel, but then we're saying, oh, but we've got to add this other stuff on. But it doesn't really have anything to do with, 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 uh, with being saved. And, and we try to separate the two so hard. And, if, and again, I'm not saying we're saved by our works, but yet... That's the very purpose that Jesus came for. Jesus came to make things new. He came to transform. He came to, to uh, he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so we're going to talk more about that tomorrow evening.
I talked a lot. I should have left you talk. No, no. I don't know if it made sense. There's a, a minute or two. Does somebody have a thought or a question or a rebuttal or something like that? Uh huh. Uh huh. So we're not just uh, doing what we have to do because of the law saying it. We're doing it because. Yeah, that's good. To avoid hell. Mm hmm. That's good. More thoughts. I don't know if I made any sense. I, I hope it made some sense. Okay. I think he was right in some areas, probably. He, he was definitely pushing things in maybe a, a good direction, and yet... Um, toward the end of his life, he did become much more radical in some of the things he said. With the Jews, he, in the beginning, he thought that he could convert them, and then that didn't work, and so he sort of turned on them. Um, he says some really strange things about the Jews. There's a a book that was written recently by Thomas Kaufman. I think he's, he's a Protestant, so he would probably have high regard for Luther, but he actually admits and writes about some of these things that Luther, his view of the Jews and how he treated them. Well, salvation by faith and by faith alone is largely a subjective matter mm -hmm. that is free from measurement. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. There are things that Jesus gave then that provide for measurement. Yeah, that's good. Mm -hmm. Along with faith, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good. All right, I think my time has come. So.